We're turning to the 110th Psalm, Psalm 110, just seven verses that we're going to read together. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent or relent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, shall he lift up the head. And so reads the word of the Lord. For three reasons this morning, this is called the jewel among all the Psalms. Some commentators, and many say it's the precious, most precious, of all the Psalms. Now that is certainly saying something. First of all, they say that because it's totally and fundamentally a messianic psalm. It's a psalm all about the Savior. There are 16 messianic psalms and there's very few of them that's all about the Savior There are messianic psalms, but along within the psalms, there's other things. Other people are speaking and other scenes. But this is a truly, purely messianic psalm. These seven verses are packed with truth regarding our Lord Jesus Christ centuries before he came. David here is only the author. He is only the pen's man. He is only writing the psalm. There's not one thing in the psalm about himself or about others or about the circumstances in the nation. It's truly, I say again, a messianic psalm. And I will show you why. I want to teach you this morning and I want to preach to you both this morning. 
And I want to show you this morning why this is the most precious messianic psalm that there is. If you look at verse 1, you see he's the king upon the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father upon the throne. And then if you go down to verse 4, you'll see him as the priest, the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which means he had no beginning and no ending, and he ever lived. And if you go down to verse 6, you'll see that he's the judge. He is the judge that's coming to reign and to rule. He's the judge that's going to fill the Megiddo, the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Jehoshaphat on the day of Armageddon, he's going to fill it with dead bodies. This is the judge that is coming. And if you go to verse 7, you'll see he's the shepherd. He shall drink of the brook. I want you to look at that word brook there in verse 7 because the translation of that is a puddle. It's not a running brook. It's a muddy puddle in a valley. Not speaking to me and to you of his humiliation from the throne to a muddy brook in the valley. My friend will never ever estimate the power and love and might of the King of Kings and how low that he stooped into the valley of humiliation. Of course, he drank worse than a dirty, out of a dirty puddle. He drank the cup of God's wrath for our sins. There's not many kings, there's not many priests, there's not many judges come as far or stooped as low. But praise God, he did, and he lifted up his head in victory at the end of the day. Now, the first reason I've given you, because it's a most messianic psalm. The second reason that they say this about this psalm is the most mentioned psalm. There's 27 references to it in the New Testament. 27 references in it to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, 1 Peter, Revelation. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself refers to it, refuting against verse 1 of it with the Pharisees. So it's the most mentioned of all the Messianic Psalms, of all the Psalms, it's the most mentioned in the New Testament. It's most messianic, it's most mentioned, and it's the most moving of all Psalms. Now hear me this morning. When David penned this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he couldn't believe what he was writing. His knowledge was limited about the future. Of course it was. He must have been a broken man and moved to tears, not because of the insight of the humiliation from the throne to the dirty puddle, but the conversation that went on in heaven. Friend, we're on sacred ground this morning, and I hope you've asked the Lord to speak to you this morning. We're on very sacred ground this morning because David the psalmist heard a conversation in heaven God allowed this shepherd boy who himself was in the valley and who self drank of the brook. The Lord God allowed this man to hear a conversation that went on in heaven between the Father and the Son. This must have been the climax and the crowning day 
of David's whole ministry, just as Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning, and I want you to watch verse 1. The Lord God Jehovah Yahweh said unto my Lord. Now, those are in capitals, and they're different lords. Now, I want you to listen now and watch. The Lord God Jehovah Yahweh said to my Lord, David's Lord, the word Lord is Adonai, Master. So he's cutting into a conversation that came from God Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty, speaking to his Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking to himself, God. He's not talking to Peter. There's a conversation going on that David has been so privileged to hear between the Father Father, say to the Son, well, you'll read in verse 1, he says, Sit thou at my right hand. Sit thou on my right hand, that's on the throne. Sit down, Son, beside me on the throne, and I will make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord had many enemies. And if we are serving the Lord in the way that we should, we have many enemies. He had no scarcity of enemies. Psalm 2 is another messianic psalm. And in that Psalm 2, it says, Why do the heathen rage and imagine the vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? He had enemies at his birth. Herod tried to kill him. He had enemies at his life. The Pharisees tried to kill him. He had enemies at his death. The devil tried to kill him. His life, his life was one of enemies all the time. But God saying to him here, Now, son, sit thou down at my right hand because you're going to scatter these enemies and you're going to put them under your footstool. So we have the conversation here. You have the coronation here. He's crowned. He's crowned king upon the throne at the right hand of the Father. This refers to just after the ascension. Now, I hope I take you with me this morning. This refers to just after the ascension. Remember in the ascension, the same Jesus whom you see go, when the work was finished, when the work was done, he went up into the glory. Now, I said the other morning, there's 10 days. There's 10 days between the Lord's ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that those ten days in heaven was days of mighty praise and mighty rejoicing. This is where we are here. Psalm 24 is the same. Remember Psalm 24? All the hosts of heaven came out to meet him. All the hosts of heaven came out to meet my Savior after the victory that he won at Calvary. I was reading in Jeremiah 33, and it says this, As the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered, neither can the sand of the sea be measured. And in that Psalm Psalm 24, you read it and study it. That's the great Psalm of the King, going back into the glory again. It says twice, there's repetition. The whole host of heaven cried, Lift up ye gates, lift them up ye everlasting The everlasting doors, the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. The whole place is uproaring. And then they see the wounds. And they say, what are those wounds in thy hand? They never saw wounds in heaven. 
And this is the scene of ten days, I believe, of great adulation and great praise as he's, as, as he's been crowned. He's been crowned Lord of all creation in the heavens and in the glory. So you see the conversation here. You see the coronation here. You see the crucifixion here. And you say to me, where do you see the crucifixion in this verse 1? We're only at verse 1 yet. Where do you see the crucifixion in verse 1? Well, the Father said to him, sit, sit, he said, on the throne beside me. That tells me that the high priestly work was finished. Of all the furniture that there was in the tabernacle, there was no seat. There was candles, there was levers, there was all sorts of basins and all sorts. But there was no seat. There was nowhere for the priest to sit down because it was never finished. It was a continual priesthood. It kept on and on and on and on. There was no rest. There was no place. But right of the Hebrews says this. Listen. He that upheld all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself poured their sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 10, every priest that standeth daily ministering offerings. These are the priests. Oftentimes the same sacrifice, the lambs, the goats, the calves, the heifers, which could never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That's where we are in Psalm 110 and verse 1. And that's why it's the most precious psalm that can be got. He sat down when the work was finished. John, the apostle, says as an advocate, he takes care of our sins. If any man sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. And I'm glad of that, for I sin every day. And I'm glad that I can get down and I say, Lord, forgive me. John says as an advocate, he takes care of our sins. The writer of the Hebrews says as an intercessor, he takes care of our supplication. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Hebrews again says he's the great high priest that takes care of our sorrows. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Oh, thank God for the great high priest. After the order of Melchizedek, having destroyed death and hell and has went up back to the throne and he's at the right hand of the Father just this morning. What a saviour. But watch on now here. Because it's not the conversation or the coronation or the crucifixion. There's a duration here. Look at verse 1 again. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, he's over 2,000 years on the throne, but he's coming back. Boy, he's coming back. He's going to burst the clouds some of these days and he's going to lift his people home. There's no question about that. There's no doubt about that. The very world out there will tell you that. that There's something going to happen very soon. There's no doubt about that. He's going to step off the throne and he's going to come down and take the church home. Do you know the throne? Oh, make much upon the throne of glory. The glorious throne, Jeremiah calls it. The glorious throne where my Savior sits this morning. It is a throne of grace. And you're not saved this morning in this place. The throne of grace is ready to receive you. I tell you, it's a throne of grace. 
and it's a throne of glory, and it's a throne of government, because he's reigning, he's reigning over us from the throne. He sees everything, he knows everything, he's in control of everything. But there's coming a day until he's going to put his enemies under his footstool. He's going to deal with Macron and Putin and Biden and Aragon. He's going to wound the heads of all the kings of the nation. He's going to come down and into the valley of Megiddo. He's going to slaughter them that they'll be full of dead bodies. There'll be blood up to the horse's collar. The armies will come from the north and the south and the east of the west into Armageddon. It's coming soon, led by the Antichrist, who is on the, who, who's on the world scene at the moment. It's coming, my friend. It's coming. They'll come from the north, Russia. They'll come from the south, the African nations. They'll come from the east, the Orient, and, and, and Japan, and all China, and all their great mighty armies. And they'll come from the north and the south and the east and the west. Oh, the sea, you've no army in the west. Will you just watch the news? There's no western army yet. Well, let me tell you that Macron, Macron's busy getting it together. And he got thrust to sign something last week to bring it into Ibean. And it's going to be led by the Antichrist. I tell you, my friend, prophecy on every sign and every field is opening up before us every day. But the sad thing about it, many of God's people don't see it. They don't care. Until he's going to put them down. There's coming the day when he'll step off the throne. Boy, I tell you, the more I think of this psalm, the more I say that's the greatest psalm that ever was. It's all about him. He's coming. Now I want you to watch very carefully verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of the strength out of Zion. Now I want you to look at the power here. The power, the rod. That speaks about the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you people to go back always to the first mention. The first mention of the rod is Moses' rod. And all Moses had to do was to swipe the rod and the rivers turned to blood. Power. And the houses filled with lice and frogs and the Red Sea departed and the rock opened when he smote the rock and fed a million people for 40 years. There's power. This is the power that's going to be unleashed from heaven. This is Holy Ghost power. But you know to the place where the power is coming, the Lord shall send it. And let me tell you, it's the Lord that will have to send it. The Lord shall send power. The Lord shall send the rod of his strength of his power out of Zion. He'll have to send it to Zion, to the church, and it's out of the church the power will come. And you watch that very carefully. That's the place that it'll have to come. There'll have to be an intervention of God, the Holy Spirit, into the churches, into Zion, into the people of God. And there will be. There will be. If you stick with me to the end here, you'll see there will be. The rod of thy strength speaks of power. And the place where the power is coming out of Zion, into Zion, the church, 
He shall send it. Boy, I tell you, we need, we need him to send it very soon. We need an intervention very soon. We need this psalm to be put into action very, very soon. Now, some people think that this just refers to the gospel in this day. Well, it does, and it could, but there's more to it than that. I tell you, the gospel has a power. The gospel has a power to save. The gospel has a power to keep. The gospel has a changing power, a convicting power, a transforming power, a liberating power. There's power in the gospel. There's power in the gospel now. Keep preaching the old message of the gospel, but preach it in power. Stop being preached in power. Oh, yes, it can refer to the gospel down through the centuries, and surely it has. But then others think it just refers to the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but that's right, could be right too, and it did. The power of God came down after he ascended, and the ten days was up, the Holy Ghost came down onto them at, uh, in the upper room there when they were gathered. Oh, yes, it can refer to that. But let me tell you what Joel says. People will say that was the fulfillment of the, of the prophecy of Joel when he came in the day of Pentecost, and that's all, that's it. Man, they're content to believe that. They're content to believe that out there in the fundamental church this morning because they're content to do what they're doing, nothing. They're not a bit interested in souls. They're not a bit interested in prayer. They're not a bit interested in revival. Less interested in revival. They say, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, but it's not the complete fulfillment of Joel. And you study the prophecy of Joel, it is not the, there's more, many things in that prophecy has, has yet to be where, after Pentecost. He says in that prophecy, I will restore unto you the years that the locusts have eaten. I will pour out my spirit on the sons and the daughters and the prophets, They'll prophesy and old men will dream dreams. I tell you, that is coming. There's coming a day when there'll be a liberation and a release of the Holy Ghost into Zion, into the church of God. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. They love to just say, oh, that's for the gospel. Preach the gospel and blow your nose and the Lord's coming back and we'll all get to heaven, huh? Oh, that's just the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Was a Baptist pastor said there not so long ago, oh, don't be praying for revival. He says there will be no revival. Well, I'm glad that he's not teaching my people. I tell you, my friend, when we get like that, when we get into the old Calvinistic doctrine of nothing's going to happen, and we're all where we are, I tell you, it's death, it's death, it's death. That's why they'll not pray. That's why they'll not have any vision for revival, any vision for souls, any vision for mission. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's a lie. It's in contrary to the Word of God. Once we lose the zeal and lose the vision and lose the burden for souls and for revival and for blessing, we might as well close up, and most of them are closing up on here for they never open some of them after COVID. Boy, we need the fire back into the souls of men and women. We need to take the Word of God and believe the Word of God that, that God is coming to move in power. 
Why may he waken us this morning? I tell you, this man here is not going to go under that doctrine. And I'm not going to lie back. I'll die in harness and I'll die praying. And I'll die praising. And I'll die crying to God for revival. And if I don't see it, you young people will see it. Oh, I tell you. You see the power in verse 2? You see the place in verse 2? Well, here's the people. And this is my punchline this morning. You see the people in verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. His power. That's the Lord God Almighty speaking to his son. He says, your people, the redeemed that have been bought by your precious blood, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Listen to what Michael the prophecy says. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall reap the fruit of the land. And the dew shall come as from the Lord has showers upon the grass. You see, the, this word willing, this word willing is the word freely or voluntary. Now, this is what we need to get home this morning. And from now on, I'll be addressing mostly you young people. This word here, that God the Father says to the Son that his people will be willing on this day that the power is going to be released, this day that we're waiting on, this day that we're crying for, this day that we're praying for, this day that we're fasting for, they'll be willing. Volunteers. There'll be no conscripts. James Montgomery Boyce says on this verse, there'll be no conscripts, there'll be no mercenaries. There'll be no poking or whipping at them to come to the prayer meeting. There'll be no challenging them and cornering them and telling them to come to pray and to wait and for God. They'll rush. The word here is an army. They'll rush like a mighty army. And they'll say, here am I, I'm willing, I'm voluntary, I'm free to do whatever you want me to do, whatever it may be. My friend, we need to be voluntary, we need to be willing in this day. Are you willing this morning? Are you willing? Most times we get this word willing and voluntary. It speaks of the last opportunity. Now I'm drawing in the net. It speaks of the last opportunity. If we don't rise freely and hastily and obediently, there'll be no opportunity left. It's the final call for the last days. Let me give you two illustrations. Only two are the many. You remember whenever Abram sent the servant to fetch the bride for Isaac, Rebecca? Here's what he said. If she be not willing, leave her. For my son's not going down to her. You see, the bride has to be willing. 
Are you willing this morning? I'm not asking you willing to sing a hymn when you sing all surrender. I'm asking you to be real this morning. Are you willing? Are you volunteering yourself this morning to the feet of this mighty Savior here? In the day of his power. Because he wants to use you. But he'll not use you if you're not willing. He'll not use you against your will. Remember what he said to Solomon. He said to the children of Israel, if you don't come with a willing heart, a willing spirit, and a willing mind, you'll not reap the blessing. No ifs and buts. No excuses for the prayer meeting. No excuses for the Bible study. No excuses for the quiet time. No excuses to the call of God for surrender. He said to Solomon, if you seek me with a willing heart and a willing mind, you shall find me. If you don't, I will forsake you. Boys, couldn't we put in that lovely hymn there with those one who was willing to die in my stead? That's why I sang that this morning. That a soul so unworthy might live. And the path to the cross he was willing to tread. All my sins and my life to forgive. Are you willing in this day of power? Are you willing this morning? Are you willing this morning to go where he says go? Do what he says do? Now watch this as we come down to a close. Watch this verse 3 very carefully. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of the youth. Now I want to note, note the things you see here. There's a willingness. There's a holiness. There's a youthfulness. And there's an attractiveness. I have absolutely no doubt, my friend, that this text refers to the army of youth that's going to be raised up in these last days for this revival. And there's many of you here in this church. The womb speaks of life. The dew speaks of freshness. Refreshing. The morning speaks of hope of a new day. My call to you as I close with a burdened heart and wrestled over this night and day for the last four or five days and more. My call is to you this morning, you young people, you young couples, that the Lord has drawn you into this fellowship. Surrender everything willingly and voluntarily into the hands of the Lord for the work in this house. Because it's unusual what God is going to do and has been doing in this house. I want you to submit yourself willingly and completely, as best you can with family and with children and with work, completely and utterly voluntary to the work of the Lord in this house for the revival that is coming. And I say this with a sorrowful heart this morning. My generation of Christians have missed it. 
and I including myself. There's scores of pastors and ministers retired or retiring this morning who themselves never surrendered completely to the will of God. Oh, they were in pastors all right, and they trailed the country from one church to another with the same sermons, but they had no desire for revival, no desire for prayer, never called their people to fasting. Never called them to holiness and to repentance. This generation have missed it. Tomorrow morning you'll find many of them on the golf course or on some cruise or some sabbatical, whatever that's supposed to be, or pontificating on a board of governors somewhere, but no burden, no vision, no desire, no hunger, no longer. We have drummed and we have beat and we have shouted no surrender until we're tired, but it hasn't worked. Will you hear what Ezekiel says? Woe to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves and feed not my flock, his flock. Living on the fat of the land and big monsters and big cars and starving the people. Let's be fair this morning. What did you come out here to hear? Woe to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves and feed not my flock. Ye eat of the fat, ye clothe yourselves with wool, but ye feed not my flock. There's a starving, starving flock of young people out there this morning, and they're drumming and they're beating and they're singing and they're courting, but there's no word. The master's crib, Isaiah said, is empty. No word. But then he says this. You, you, let me say it again. Ye eat of the fat, you clothe yourself in wool, but you, fear, but you feed not my flock. I am against thee, says the Lord, and I will require my flock at thy hand. There's the judgment seat coming, sir. There's the judgment seat coming. Do you hear me this morning? You'll give an account. Thirty years of bloodshed, violence and murder, plus the pestilence and COVID that shook the nation, shook the churches, and shook Christendom, failed to bring us to our knees. Failed to bring us to our knees. The old doctrine and truths that our fathers stood for are trampled under feet. And the Bible has been transformed and changed into that many translations that it take a hundred lorries to draw them away. When are we going to get back to the old word and to the old truth and believe God? But our generation have missed us and I trust that you young people don't miss it. Keep going on Friday night, Stephen. And you and keep coming, you young people. Keep coming on Monday night and keep coming on Wednesday night and get into these prayer meetings for revival that we're having in the school. Get in behind us here in full willingness and in surrender. Not because I said, not because you want to be seen, because God wants you to do it.
Stop blaming them. I'm finished now. Stop blaming the house of Windsor. It's doomed anyway. And the house of Commons and this more doomed. And that's the house that's doomed. It's God's house. God's house that we need to get cleaned up. Not the hill and storm where we need to stand and protest. It's Calvary's hill where we need to bow in humiliation at the foot of the old rugged cross and the one who came from the glory to the brook of the dirty puddle. Vance Havner says revival is not going down the road beating the big drum. It's going back to Calvary with the big sob. Stop blaming thrust. She may probably not be there at Christmas. Stop blaming the Chancellor and stop blaming the economy and stop blaming Putin and stop blaming Sinn Féin. We need to look at ourselves. What did Nehemiah do? What did he do when his brother and others come to the palace of Chisholm and told them the gates are down and they're burnt with fire and the walls of the temple of, of God's house is down and they're a laughing stock. They're a laughing stock to the Gentiles around us. He never was there. He never he was born in captivity. He never was in Jerusalem. He says, I sat down and I wept and I prayed and I fasted and I called unto the God of heaven. And I said, Lord, forgive us. He had nothing to do with the tearing down of the wall. Lord, forgive us. We need to bow at his feet and we need to cry to forgiveness. And that old spirit, that old hard spirit that we have needs to be broken and smashed until we rise up and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Nehemiah said, O God, I beseech thee to forgive us. Forgive me, for my father's house have sinned. My generation have missed it. And they're content this morning. But I'm not content. I came across this word in Jeremiah, and I close with this, this word in Jeremiah, when I was thinking of the confusion in government. And there will always be, and there will continue to be confusion in the government. This chancellor will not sort anything out, and it will not even out, it will not even, because God has withdrawn. God has, here's the verse I got in Nehemiah the other morning, because of its wickedness, I have hid my face from this. And I tell you, when God hides his face, let it be from a man, or let it be from a nation, or let it be from a city, woe betide them. And I say this again this morning, I believe that the queen that is deceased and passed, she had a measure, she had a measure of restraint. I don't know where she stood spiritually. I'm not going to join in with all the rest of them, but I don't know where she... But I know that she had, a, she, she, she had a, a measure of constraint on the nation. God seemed to keep her there. You watch now. Because of its wickedness, I hid my face from the city. May you pray this morning and I pray this. And he has hid his face from the church. 
Well, if he, ha- if, he, if he hasn't, why are we in such a mess? Why are we slaying and preaching and prattling from morning to night and missions after mission and conference after conference and nothing happening? There's something wrong. This is not New Testament church. No, my friend, the only answer, and I've been preaching it for 34 years here, the only answer to our land is a Holy Ghost revival. And it's coming. It's coming to Ireland. It's coming to Ireland. And he's calling the youth and the Jew of the morning, the refreshing of the Jew, something refreshed. We need something fresh. The old prayers, the old cliches. Oh God, I'm tired of them. Lord, I'm tired of them. We need someone with freshness, with vitality, the youth from the womb of the morning, something new, a new day to dawn upon our land. They that are willing. I probably think that's the key word, the word willing. Are you willing? May God help you wherever you are this morning. Now this has rubbed salt into your wounds. I'll rub it tight. Rub it tight. We need to take heed for the thing is serious. But God is going to come. I'm looking forward to these meetings. I'm not saying revival is going to come in the school, but I'm looking forward to another, another milestone. The harbinger of revival. The school will be the harbinger of revival. These meetings will be the harbinger for revival. These prayer meetings are the harbinger for revival. It's coming. And if you're not saved, the first thing you need to do this morning, you got saved. Get saved, be willing. Stop your old rebellion. Stop your old nonsense and your old rebellion and say, I'll not have this man to rule over you. Well, let me tell you, you'll only do that so long. Until he comes and bursts the clouds and takes us out and then it'll be too late. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank thee for giving us help, Lord, to unleash this word that you laid so solemnly upon our heart. We thank thee for the precious Holy Spirit. We bless thee for the Lord Jesus that's coming again. Oh, God, help us to be part of this great move, this great army. Lord, I pray that you'll touch every young man and young woman in this congregation this morning that's hearing me, listening to me, watching me, wherever it may be, that the fire will burn into their soul, that they'll believe God, that they'll forget what they've been taught about from others, Lord. We cry to thee, Lord, that they'll lay hold of the word of God and the word alone and go through with God. I will pour waters on him that is thirsty. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty and hidden things that you know not of. Lord, help us to believe you. Forgive us for unbelief. Forgive us for twisting doctrine to suit our own laziness and carnality. Forgive us for our neglect of the Holy Spirit for the grieving and the hindering and the vexing of the Holy Spirit. 
Oh God, do a new thing we pray in lives, even today. For Christ's sake. Amen.